Welcome everybody to the seventh episode of the Bellarmine Forum, and I have a surprise for you today. I'm speaking with Sister Rita Marie of the Sister Servants here in Birmingham, Alabama. We're still over the phone, so it might sound like we're together. And always with these episodes, I want it where you're joining us for a good conversation on Catholic things. Let's start with a prayer. Sister, could you could you lead us with a prayer, please? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Holy Mary Mother, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Fatima, pray for us. Pray for us. Awesome. Jacinta and Francisco, pray for us too. Yeah, that's so true. Yes. I never, you know, canonized. I don't even think to invoke them, but thank you, sister. Well, I, <laughs> I briefly said your name to our audience. You are Sister Rita Marie, and you, I, I always refer to it as Casa Maria, but you're with the Sister Servants, and tell everybody a little bit about your order, and I know you guys give retreats, but, you know, I'll let you, I'll let you say the good stuff, because I, I enjoy that you guys are right here so close to me. Well, my name is Sister Rita Marie. I'm from the Sister Servants of the Eternal Word. We're just a few minutes down from EWTN, and our apostolate, the work we do for the church, is catechesis and in retreats. And we take the, the quote from St. Paul to teach spiritual things spiritually. So in the context of a retreat, we delve into some aspect of our Catholic faith and try to interiorize it, make it part of our spiritual life and our life of living the faith. And so that's really what we do. We try to interiorize our faith and and live it um, through real real decision to change the way we live so that we live more in conformity with the mind and teaching of the church. And so that's really the work that we do. We do also do uh, conferences on different aspects of the faith, and we also do some catechesis in a, a local school in Birmingham. And so that's really the work of the Sister Servants of the Eternal Word. Awesome. When did you profess? Maybe we should, we'll save that for the end. Let's just jump right into the meat because here we are. I, you know, I, I still get, I think, I, I don't really know where we ever got the tradition of celebrating 100 years of everything. But for us this year, here we are, 100 years since Fatima, and you you have a great love of Fatima, I could tell, and you've studied so much of it, and you've been giving so many talks on it. That's where we're going to go. That's where we're going to go with our audience. But I want to ask you, for us little people, I mean, for average Catholic in the pew, average guy that's got his kids in school, uh, wife's at home, and he's struggling to pay bills, what does Fatima mean for him? What's he supposed to get out of that? Well, first of all, it's uh, the first message of Fatima is, the need for a deeper conformity in con- with our life in Christ and a real devotion, an authentic devotion to his Holy Mother, especially the Immaculate Heart of Mary. St. Augustine taught in the 4th century that Jesus conceived, Mary, Mary conceived Jesus in her heart before she conceived him in her womb. Mm-hmm. That first and foremost, she willed the incarnation after the invitation of the Holy Spirit and of God to, to have Christ come into her womb. Before that, 
she was prepared to receive him because she had received him already into her heart. And so the message of Fatima is really about promoting devotion to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and and also to make reparation to the Immaculate Heart of Mary because a lot of people have this misconception that if you have devotion to Mary, you're taking away from devotion to Jesus or you're um, not not loving Jesus the way you should love Jesus because Mary's getting in the way. And one of the reasons why our Lord has asked that we make reparation to the Immaculate Heart of Mary is because Mary's heart was always set on God. In the, in the Gospel, when he, she talks to um, the people at the wedding feast of Cana, all she says is, do whatever he tells you. Yeah. She's only going to lead us to Jesus. And when Christ was bringing priests into the world through his incarnation, death, and resurrection, he came to us, first through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, and then into her womb. And so if we want to get close to Jesus, we need to enter into him through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, as he came to us through her Immaculate Heart. And so the first thing we want to do is have devotion to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And then there are specifics for about that. Initially, in the first, in the first apparitions, it's about uh, devotion to the Holy Eucharist, really, to the Holy Eucharist, beginning with acts of faith, hope, and love. Mm. The angel teaches them the, the uh, very simple acts of faith, hope, and love. I believe, I adore, I hope, and I love you. Mm-hmm. And then it's a, the, the prayer goes on to say, I ask pardon for those who do not believe, do not adore, do not hope, and do not love you. And so the first thing we want to do is, in an unbelieving world, what does a believer do? A believer lives the faith he professes. That's what an act of uh, faith means. Mm-hmm. I'm going, I profess to believe, and I'm going to act according to that belief. Then there's adoration. Uh, St. Catherine, de, Catherine of Siena said that when the Holy Heavenly Father asked, she asked the Heavenly Father who he was, he said, I am he who is, and you are she who is not. Mm. He is God from whom all things come. Everything I have is from him. Everything I have needs to go back to him. So adoration of God. God is he who is, and I am she who is not. Mm-hmm. Humility. Humility is vital to any kind of serious relationship with God. Then hope. We trust in God's providence, in his goodwill, and his always willing the good for us, and his power to attain the good he wills for us. Not only always wills our good, he always has the power to attain the good he wills for us. And then love, because he's always loving me, always willing what's good for me, I give him all my love and always will what's good for him. And what's good for him is that he be loved and adored and and worshipped and proclaimed to the whole world. Yes. And then in an unbelieving world, what does a believer do? The believer intercedes for the unbeliever. I ask pardon. I ask that you forgive those who do not believe, do not adore, do not hope, and do not love you. So it's, it's the beginning of the message is uh, faith, hope, and love, and intercession for the conversion of sinners. Then the second apparition of the angel is really about offering Eucharistic adoration for the conversion of sinners. Mm. It says... Uh, in reparation and for the conversion of sinners. Um, in the, the the message, the, the angel gives a prayer, and the prayer is, My God, I believe, I adore, 
Oh, I'm sorry. O Most Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I adore you profoundly, and I offer you the most precious body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, present in all the tabernacles of the world. That's why it's an adoration. Oh, yeah. Uh, in reparation for the outrages, sacrileges, and indifferences with which he is offended. So we're offering our adoration of the Blessed Sacrament as an act of reparation and also intercession for the conversion of sinners. Now, Sister, um, let me pause you for a second. Yeah. In 1917, mm-hmm. there wasn't the problem we see today where, you know, when I was a kid, I went to St. Catherine Siena grade school, by the way. And, and it, over the years, I heard things from people. Uh, it's that the Eucharist was just a symbol it's a symbol of community or it's this or that, that wasn't happening yet. Was it? So th- this was ahead well, of, Well, I mean, this is prophetic, but it's also to some extent that the, the angel was asking us to pray for that. I mean, that, that it was at least in seminal form at that time, mm. there were people at that time who didn't, uh, honor the blessed sacrament as the blessed sacrament should be honored, worship the blessed sacrament as the blessed sacrament should be Worshipped. It says outrageous, sacrilegious, and indifferences. Portugal at the time of the apparitions was in a very big uh, crisis of faith. Mm-hmm. People don't know that because they see these little shepherds in a field and they, the Mother of God's <laughs> appearing to them. So they're thinking that it's, it was a, an idyllic time in the history of Portugal. It was a very bad time in the history of Portugal. Uh, at that time, um, it was in the midst of World War One. And subsequent to World War One, there were there was this movement called the Anarchist Movement, and in this movement, uh, they were against government. They were um, especially against monarchies. And the reason why that was was because monarchies prim- primarily ruled, the, uh, governed in Europe, mm. and they specifically had an, an antagonism towards Catholic monarchies. Um, they advocated violence. They asked advocated violence, and um, also uh, they advocated um, uh, no moral absolutes. So, in other words, we can use violence because there's no moral absolutes. There's no right and wrong here. There's no good and evil. There's just what we believe to be the right thing to do according to what we think. Mm. It was, there was no moral, moral, no revelation, no moral absolutes. So, in the, in the contents of that, we have a lot of destabilization happening in Europe because there are monarchs who are being uh, assassinated. Even the United States, President McKinley was assassinated by an anarchist mm. who used the same weapon that was used to kill an, uh, a monarch in Italy at the time. So, there was a lot of destabilization coming about by this anarchist movement. Now, in Portugal in particular, the uh, head of Portugal, the, the king of Portugal, was assassinated. His son was assassinated, and um, his younger son was only 18 years old, and he was uh, ascended to the, port- the throne of Portugal, but was actually, they, they started having revolutions in Portugal, and these were through the machinations of Freemasonry in, in Portugal at the time. Mm-hmm. From the years 1910 to 1926, they had 16 different revolutions. It just in Portugal? And, uh, this is in Portugal. So yeah, as, wow. as this is all happening, there, there's there's serious um, destabilization, serious violence going on in Portugal at the time. Mm -hmm. And the government that took over was very anti-Catholic. 
they they started this um, this government, and in this government they put out this proclamation of the the government, which was to separate church and state. Uh, and that was initially what it was proclaimed to be, but what it ended up being was a real persecution of the church. The first thing they did was they destabilized the Catholic Church and disestablished the Catholic Church in, in Portugal. Um, they cut off all ties with the Holy See. Most contemplative orders were um, evicted from their convents. The Jesuits were and, and exiled. Mm. The Jesuits were expelled altogether, um, and... Uh, the only religious that were allowed to remain really were priests and religious were those who taught in universities and those who um, staffed hospitals or staffed schools so that they didn't want to, they needed to continue the education of the, the children and of the university level, but they wanted to control what was taught. Um, but they still needed qualified teachers, and at that time, a lot of the people who taught at universities were priests and sisters, so they, they couldn't expel them altogether. Uh, but, for instance, after the apparitions, Lucia goes to a uh, boarding school, and they were not allowed to call the sisters sisters. They had to call on ladies. Oh. And um, they weren't allowed to wear the habit, uh, although they did. In the, schools, in the school, they did wear the habit. But they, if you were caught wearing a habit or a priest was wearing clerics, they could be arrested by any member of the, of the any citizen could arrest the priest or religious. They deposed the bishop of Oporto and Bahia. They um, they took over the seminary seminary training of um, seminarians, and um, also they. Uh, only allowed sacraments to be uh, administered within the church. So if a person was sick or was in a hospital, a priest had to risk going out and bringing the sacraments because they weren't allowed to do that. Oh, wow. Um, and this had all happened before. You know, and sometimes this was enforced and sometimes it wasn't. Okay. But in general, that was the law. Uh, they also um, they uh, took over schools and, and church property and um, used it for whatever the government wanted to use it. In some cases, they took over churches and made them into barns for animals or barracks for army soldiers. So there was a, a real, real persecution of the church at the time. Uh, they had a, in the Catholic universities, they had a oath that all the, both the professors and the students made um, uh, adhering to the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception, and promising to promote um, faith in the Immaculate Conception, that was abolished. Mm. Uh, they uh, abolished um, all the holy days of obligation. They made compulsory work days. Well, wait, wait. So had to let me get this clear for our reader, for our listeners. So, prior prior to this this scourge from the state. There were oaths that uh, uh, to the Immaculate Conception among among the schools, or among, did you say among the university professors? Their universities. They had an oath to uphold the doctrine of uh, the dogma of the Immaculate Conception oh, at okay. Catholic universities. Okay. Okay. And so they they uh, forbade them to do that. They forbade any oath in, in in a court of law. 
because you, you call on God to witness to the truth you're telling, so they forbade that. Mm-hmm. Um, they decreed on Christmas Day, they decreed that divorce was permitted in Portugal. For the first time in, in Portuguese law, divorce was permitted. Oh, wow. Um, a third of their collections on Sunday had to go to the government. Uh, there were lay boards who actually ran the parishes, and if there was any dispute between a priest and a parishioner, these lay boards decided the, uh, the, how the dispute was to be um, resolved. Huh. So, I mean, they they didn't just uh, set, there wasn't just separation of church and state. Pretty much, the state was taking over the government of the church or sure. trying to. And it was so bad that St. Pius the Twelfth, uh, I'm sorry, St. Pius the Tenth. In 1911, wrote an encyclical letter to the church in Portugal called Yandundum, Mm. and in that letter he he protests really against the government and their persecution of the church and their interference into the government of the church, uh, because it was so unprecedented. Up until that... uh, Portugal was almost universally Catholic. See, and I then think, this happens, and, I think most and people they have go that from idea. this to, they go from this to um, real persecution of the church. Yeah, and it really sounds so, like the stuff going on that people would associate with Soviet Russia is already happening in Portugal. Right. It, it, what, was, what our Blessed Mother pro, pro, prophesied in the apparitions, they were already experiencing in seminal form in Portugal. Wow. And she was trying to give the world uh, a way to bring about the conversion so that the evils that were going to come upon the world, if we did not convert, would be thwarted, that, they, that we could really change the history of the world by adhering to these messages. Unfortunately, unfortunately we haven't really successfully done that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why, and, and a lot of the things that, were in seminal form then, are in seminal form now in the world, um, and we need to really take these messages seriously if we want to bring about the change and the conversion of the world that needs to take place so that we can have peace and so that people can live their faith um, in a authentic manner mm-hmm. throughout the world. And if we don't do this, there is a consequence, and, and the Muslim Mother actually prophesies that whole nations would be annihilated and 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 um, errors would be spread throughout the world, and we have seen that they're almost universally spread about around the world right now. Oh yeah. And so this message is as valid now as it was then, but it, in Portugal at the time, they're going through what we're we're seeing now in seminal form in some places in the world. Other places, it's completely taken over. North Korea is living what Portugal lived mm. um, right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and and so, the Blessed Mother, through the message of the angel and through her message and through the devotions that she she um, reveals and, and asks us to take up, uh, is trying to to bring about the conversion of the world to the point where we can live in peace. There cannot be peace unless man is living in harmony with God and harmony with one another, and that cannot take place without divine grace. Uh, that's why God came into the world, to bring peace into the world. Yes. And you cannot bring peace without divine grace. And if we're thwarting the ability to receive divine grace through, through a lack of prayer, through a lack of penance, through a lack of um, living our Christian faith vibrantly in the culture that we live in, 
if we, we do that, if we, those omissions will have a bad consequence, and they are having bad consequences. That, that, that's what makes this message so valid. That idea that you just hit on, you know, I had a conversation with somebody we were talking about. I, I, I meant to do a post on this. Yesterday, we celebrated Our Lady of Victory uh, Lepanto. And, 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 and back in, that, in 1571, trade and commerce of the world and communication of the world happened over the Mediterranean, which the Ottoman Empire controlled. And uh, rowboats, I, I mean, well, not, we should call them galley boats. You know, it was the last major naval battle where they still, the major engine for the boat was uh, uh, rowing. I think today, yesterday, and exactly what you just said, today, commerce and communication, it's on the internet and it's, 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 it's immediate around the world. We don't have to rely on the Mediterranean anymore. And I think the the... They say that mortal sin dims the light of reason. And I think it actually deforms reason because you listen to people that are steeped in uh, mortal sin. In fact, Father Hardin would say people in mortal sin are agents of the devil. It's all yes, over. And, and, and so you're, you're, the idea that you can just be some kind of neutral, uh, benign individual that has no impact on the, the world, it's just not true. Yeah. We are... We're going to have an effect either for the good or for evil, but we will have an effect in this world. Or, and or we the, have to choose which side we're going to take. Exactly. Well, that, you know, I think that idea right there, the two standards, you know, of the St. Ignatius, the, pick a side, there's only two sides. People today think, right. well, all these sides, they all lead to God anyway. You know, it's, right. no matter which way we go in this, it seems like there's errors that will confront us among people right. today. And that's almost why I say today, I almost wonder if the Ottoman empire isn't just the, the kingdom of hell and the Mediterranean and the boat fight is just talking with people because you, you even listen to the justification they give for uh, a number of uh, perversities today where they say, well, it, what happens in my bedroom doesn't affect anybody else. Right. It's it impossible for it not to affect anybody. Yes, it does. Yeah, it does. It's impossible. No matter what, deviation or one, what moral depravity one, a person gets into, uh, it will have an effect on not just you, but the people around you. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's important that when you're in government, you seek the, the common good mm-hmm. of, of the people, and you have a clear understanding of what that consists of, because if you don't, then you, can, you make all kinds of decisions that are contrary to the common good uh, in order to placate people who have uh, moral moral depravity or moral immorality. They want to live immorality and make that the norm. And whenever we make immorality the norm, then we get more degraded and we do more cruel and vicious things to one another. And that's really playing itself out right now. Oh, yes. Uh, very cruel and vicious things are happening in the world today because we are not holding a standard of what, what is morally good and what's morally evil and what can be accepted and what can't be accepted. We're, we're just accept, accepting, saying everything is good and there is no evil. And when we do that, and the only evil there seems to be is for those, those, those bad people who hold for moral absolutes. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. this goes back to, like I told you, the, the anarchists, they did not believe in moral absolute, absolutes. Yeah. They did believe in using violence, and they did use violence in order to destabilize the governments so that 
it caused a horrible, horrible world war, killed millions of people, and it changed Europe forever. Now, when you know, I, I, with our audience, we I think almost anybody that's listening to Bellarmine Forum is either 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 searching for to find the truth, and they're already kind of pretty well catechized, or they're already aware of Freemasonry as an active agent because of the encyclicals of uh, Leo the Thirteenth and others. This was being organized through Freemasonry, but in your in your study of the situation in Portugal, was there was there a particular reason why they picked Portugal? I mean, it seems to me like for whatever reason they made it so bad in Portugal, and that's almost why our Blessed Mother showed up there. From the way you've yeah, described it, yes. I, I, why they specifically picked out Portugal? I, maybe primarily because it was universally Catholic. Mm. Because it was um, a stronghold of the church for centuries. One of the things Pope, Pope Pius X says is he says it's almost universally Catholic to 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 ex- to put these persecutions into effect in a country that's universally Catholic. Now, he, and the reason why he's talking about it is because they think to run a government without religion. And he said, but the, the country is religious. It has, it has a religious tradition, and it's been universally Christian. So why are we all of a sudden wanting to impose on this country, uh, a country without religion, when it's always been a religious country? And I want to say this. He goes on to explain that, you know, all power to all power to govern comes from God. See, uh, our Lord himself said that when Pontius Pilate says to him, do you not know how I have power over whether you live or die? Mm. And our Lord says to him, uh, our Lord says to him, you would have no power over me had it not been given to you by God. Yes. And so since it's given to you by God, you have a moral obligation to carry out your responsibilities in conformity to what God says the common good is. Not what I personally feel about it, but what is Revelation told me is the common good of the of of society, and Revelation has been clear. It's you have to will the good of each individual and everyone in general, and in the whole of society. Mm-hmm. You can't just choose to take say, well, I'll, I'll I'll support one over the other. No, you have to do both. That's what your obligation as a person who's in government has to will the good according to what we know God. The good is. Otherwise, we go back to to the Garden of Eden, and the serpent comes to Eve and says, "Did God say don't do this?" And then she says, "No, God said we can eat of any tree, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil." Yeah. And if we even touch it, we're going to die. Which is not what he said. If you eat of it, you will die. Mm -hmm. So she starts exaggerating, and then he says, and then he says, "Oh, you won't die." You will be like God, knowing good and evil. And what that means is determining for myself what is good and evil. Yes. And as soon as we do that, the devil has control. Because guess what? What I say is good is good. What you say is good is good. Whatever it's 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 relevant. Pope uh, Benedict said the dictatorship of relativism. Mm-hmm. In other words, we, you cannot hold for a moral absolute. If you hold for a moral absolute you're in big trouble because you're frustrating other people who do not hold for this moral absolute. So the only people who get persecuted in this are the people who hold for moral absolutes, not for those who don't. That's right. And boy, don't we see it over and over again in today's society here. 
where just one thing after another, I mean, just yesterday I saw news where uh, pro-life uh, advocates had gone to a coffee shop afterwards. Somehow, just because of the pro-life stuff, they trigger the coffee shop owner who happens to be a gay man, and he just goes off on them and, and, and runs them out. And I thought, how upside down is this? Because Christians right. that didn't want to make a birthday, I mean, a wedding cake or so-called wedding cake for two men that claimed that were getting married are forced to make the mm -hmm. cake by the courts. Right. But we both know the courts are not going to come in and tell that guy he has to give them coffee and maybe make a cake for those guys. Right. But he not only didn't make them coffee, he threw him out of the coffee shop. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's not even not it's the complete intolerance of anybody who holds for moral And it's, it's the thing that's wrong with this is when you don't hold for moral absolute, especially in the natural law, that goes against reason. Mm -hmm. You know, so the whole idea that we're going to exalt reason, but now reason's out the window because it goes against what I want. Yes. If I want it, it's good. And everything I want is good. Huh. Unless well. I want to live like God wants me to live, and then, then it's bad. <laughs> That's how messed up we are as a society. And, and in Portugal, they were trying to do that. They were trying to overturn um, a society that had been primarily governed and ruled by what God had revealed mm -hmm. to be true. And now everybody, now they were saying, well, whatever I say is true is true. Well, no. Truth, truth is, you know, first of all, truth is God. Jesus said, I am the truth. You want to know what the truth is? Go to Jesus. Yes. And so... This this was a an attempt to overthrow it. Now, why they chose Portugal? It could have been just because it was so universally Catholic. They thought if we can destroy it in this country, then it won't be so much to destroy it throughout the rest of the world. And maybe for the same reason they chose Russia, because yeah. it had been a Christian nation. Oh, yeah. Well, and I, I have this whole, uh, in an earlier talk with, uh, with Friar Anthony, a conventual Franciscan up in Chicago, we were getting into Maximilian Colby and Our Lady showing up at Akita, but here was Maximilian Colby on uh, and how he was able to expand all the way over to Japan. And 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 I looked at it almost as a it was Our Lady with a military maneuver, and she was flanking what used to be referred to as the Hunnic Expanse, where the uh, the barbarians had basically created this giant belt that what's called the Turkic Belt all the way pretty much from the coast of China all the way over to Rome. And so I, I, I always wondered if Portugal... And, you know, and, and, and Maximilian Colby also, it, the divine revelation, divine providence is consistent. He's also talking about devotion to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Yes, yes, yes. He's also yes. talking devotion to Immaculata. They're consistent. Peace came into this world first through the heart of Mary, who conceived Jesus in her heart first, and then conceived in his womb. If we want to bring Jesus into this world, we should do it the same way God came into this world the first time, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, mm -hmm. that conceived Jesus in her heart first. And the reason why that's important is, as Mary, Jesus conceived in Mary's heart, so God will be conceived in our heart, through devotion to her. Because devotion to her leads to devotion, it leads to the, divine, the increase of divine life in our soul. She leads us to prayer. She leads us to the sacraments, which is how divine life is communicated to our souls. And so she's just going to bring us to Jesus. That's what she's going to do. If you want to go to Jesus, 
she will bring you. And and, and in the apparition, she tells Lucia, because at one point Lucia wanted asked if she and Jacinta and Francisco can go to heaven. And the Blessed Mother said, well, Jacinta and Francisco will go soon, but you will. it will be some time later. And then she, she says to the Blessed Mother, I stay here alone. And the Blessed Mother said, no, do you suffer a great deal? My Immaculate Heart will be your refuge and the oh. way that will lead you to God. Awesome. And as it was true for Lucia, it's true for us, too. Yes, yes. Oh, yes. Why do you think... Um... I'm going to hit you with a with a strange question, but 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 I love asking this question. You know, I listen to people, and they're like, "Oh, oh, oh the the vision of hell is just there to scare people." I, yeah, it, you know, okay, it's hell is a scary place, but kind of against what you've been saying, we're here. We have a world that's trying to create society without of without anything from God. That's hell, isn't it? Isn't that where the hell is? Place without God? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's an absence of God, an absence absence of God's presence, and, and to some extent. I mean, for anything to exist, God has to be present there because He has to keep it in existence. Mm-hmm. But it's an absence of a of a friendship with God. Yes, or absence of a divine, or having the divine life of God within you. That there's an absence. Uh, it's almost, in a sense, a non-reality because we are made for God. So when we don't have God in our life, we're no longer living in reality mm-hmm. as as we were made to be live as we were made to live but the reason why she showed the vision of hell is because she knew and especially specifically in Jacinta's life that had a profound change in her from that moment on there was no sacrifice lucia says there was no sacrifice too great for the conversion of sinners and for the salvation of souls wow it had it it led to a heroic virtue in the lives of those young people because they did not want anyone to go there. And Lucy said it was such a horrible vision that if they had not been promised they would go to heaven, they would have died of fright. So horrible was hell. Mm-hmm. And they, they were given that vision as young children because the Mother of God knew that that would make an indelible impression upon them, and they would for then, from then on willingly and joyfully sacrifice whatever was necessary for the salvation of souls. Wow. And, I mean, just the idea that something could be so frightening. I mean, it, it, and when I contrast it to how people are today, I mean, look at the movies. They try to make the scariest movie they can. They put all of the computer work and artwork they can into creating these unreal, unreal places just because people want the little bit of a thrill of being scared a little bit. But then when you when you bring up something that actually is scary and try to tell them how they could avoid it, they don't want to hear it. Right. Well, uh, ultimately, one of the things that the, the devil uses is is the denial of the existence of hell. There's two extremes here. There's one is uh, it doesn't ever exist. It's, well, this is a figment of people's imaginations. Mm-hmm. You know, this is just scare tactic to make you conform to a moral code. That's what they would say. Yeah. And then there's the other one that says, well, there is a hell, but nobody goes there because God is so good. (laughs) (laughs) We could talk for hours on that one and how it comes up. I mean, I can't stand that when people are like, well, and then you have these other people that say, well, because of the great mercy of God at the end of the time, he's just going to let everybody out anyway. And he'll just get a fewer cookies at the table than the rest of us. No, it doesn't work like that. (laughs) No. And and, and the thing is, it's not that. God wants anybody to go to hell. It's just that there are, he has made, put into the human heart 
a desire for truth, beauty, and goodness. But if we reject that, then we have to accept the consequences of doing that. Mm-hmm. There are consequences to rejection of truth, beauty, and goodness. There are, and they're bad. Yes. It's an absence of goodness. It's an absence of truth. It's an absence of beauty. You, you withdraw yourself from that, and you can get yourself to the point, and that's what, what sin does, moral, habitual moral sin does, where you don't even want the good anymore. That's, I, and you know, that's probably the worst You don't part. have a taste for it. You don't have a desire for it. You don't yeah. have a love for it anymore because... So dim their hearts, And I should yeah. say it, for love for him, because God is the source of all truth, beauty, and goodness. You lose your desire for God and your love for God. Um, you know, the, the traditional pictures is you're closing the door, door of hell from the inside, not from the outside. God, it, you are put in hell by what you do, but you choose that. that. Mm-hmm. You've made the decision against what is true, true beauty, true and beautiful and good. And you've chosen the other. And it's, it's tragic. And, you know, the sad thing is we're, we're, we're in this, and this is what the, why this, is, this message is important. We have the opportunity to change not only that direction in our own lives, but in the lives of others by embracing what Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me, is embracing the sacrifices of daily life. And every one of us have it. Every one of us have a cross. Every one of us have sacrifices that we have to offer to God every day. And we should offer to God for the salvation of souls. Oh, yeah. And then we can go to the next step in making voluntary sacrifices. And all of that, all of that is in conformity with what the Second Vatican Council teaches, the common priesthood of the faithful. Mm-hmm. Every person who's baptized is supposed to be making spiritual sacrifices to God. And that is really encapsulated in the offertory of the Mass. At that moment, we give ourselves and we give the concrete things that make up our daily life to God. If we go once, we go to Mass on Sundays and Holy Days, we offer those sacrifices to God for the salvation of the world in union with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Yes. St. Paul says it in, in, in his writings, he says, I make up in my own flesh what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. Well, nothing's lacking in the sufferings of Christ, but that a person, that those merits are applied to a person, that a person is disposed to receive those graces. That is what we are about. That's what the, our spiritual sacrifices do. They bring down the grace and mercy of God upon souls who are in desperate need of them. Mm-hmm. And that's what Jacinta and Lucia and Francisco learned through that vision of hell. We can prevent people from, and Abbasama talked about that. To prevent this, I ask for devotion to my Immaculate Heart and the consecration of Russia to my Immaculate Heart of Mary. Wow, wow, wait, 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 I want to, yeah, let's highlight that for a minute. That is so key. Just say it again slowly. Our Blessed Mother told them to prevent what? What are they preventing? To prevent, first of all, souls going to hell. Yes. That was the first thing, to prevent souls to go to hell. I asked for devotion to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, Mm -hmm. first Saturdays of reparation, Uh and that Russia be consecrated to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Now, that third one, is that something that you and me can, I mean, for the, and this is, we're going right into, I love this because um, for years, you know, when we were getting ready for the show, we kind of talked about the general uh, characteristics of, there's three big broad brush strokes you can make about Fatima. The first being what the history was. The second is kind of these uh, instructions of Our Lady to us. And then I said, the, like the third group are the doomsday watchers that try to look for the blueprint to apocalypse through the secrets. 
Uh, mm. And and I I admit I, I it's fun to look at the secrets to try to figure out what's prophetic and is there a message there. But this last mm. point that you just made, none of us were supposed to consecrate Russia. It was the Pope, right? The Pope. It was the Holy Father. Yeah. And I asked the Holy Father to make the consecration of Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And some people have said, well, he didn't. He said the whole world. Right. And so, right. therefore, he didn't consecrate Russia. Well, as far as I I mean, the last time I checked, Russia is still part of this world. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. You know, as far as I know, it's still part of this world. So, it, uh, and second of all, I think there was that was in, in God's providence that it that he did the whole world, because right now I think the whole world needs to be consecrated to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, not just Russia. The whole world needs this, not just one country. Boy, you aren't kidding But me Russia is included in that. Yes. And, then, um, and, and Lucia was at once asked, she, her superior was talking with her one time, and this is in a, a, a pamphlet that she put out after she died, and she, she said, you know, people are saying, one thing they're saying, the third secret wasn't revealed. She said, well, if there is another third secret, they may have it, but that's the one I had. So I revealed the whole thing I had. <laughs> Second of all is, uh, was Russia, what was in, in Lucia said it was accepted by heaven, that it yeah. was accepted by heaven. So, I mean, if, if the person who's been entrusted with the message says that, I don't know what else more we can do about that. Well, and you know and, where and some of these, that, these conspiracy people then say, I don't know if you've heard this one. Some groups say that the Vatican replaced with a Sister Lucy lookalike, and then they get into handwriting analysis. I mean, it's it's bizarre. You get out into this stuff. Yeah, it, it's it bizarre. That's very strange. Yeah, it's very strange. I mean, but, it, it, you know, the, one of the things that happened when she she actually wanted to be a Carmelite early in, in her um, discernment, mm-hmm. but the Carmel in Portugal after the revolution. Six days after the resolution, the Carmel she eventually entered was expelled. They were they were thrown out of their monastery. Okay. And so, um, so but the idea that someone who is as popularly known as Sister Lucia could um, be replaced by somebody else is it, it's a little bit over the top. I mean, even for the conspiracy theory people, because she was. Well known. I mean, it's not something you can just replace. This is it's a little bit over the top. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ah, you know what I mean. But the, that doesn't stop um, people these days, though. I've noticed. I mean, it can go. Yeah, I and mean, there's yeah. evangelicals that are out there now. Um, there's a documentary just came out, and I think you know they're 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 taking uh, advantage of the hundred year in the interest because of the hundred year anniversary. Uh, one of them, his name is L.A. Marzulli, and this guy used to be on the Ancient Aliens show, but he's kind of seized off a book that came out. And it, what they're doing is they're picking up just a couple of reports out of the thousands of witness reports that happen. Uh, they're picking up some of these early stories. And one claims that the Blessed Mother showed up in a miniskirt, which is neither here nor there, because even when they show the image that the person had drawn, it's not a miniskirt. It just looked different than... Uh, what the dress and attire there was with that, with that long, it would look like a quilted kind of uh, dress, but it wasn't a mini. You know, and one of the, the things that the reasons why God needed for us to make reparation in the heart of Mary is for things like that. Yeah. Because to actually say that about the mother of God is, is horrible. And it is, it's a, it's a blasphemy. She's the epitome of chastity and purity. Exactly. And, and um, uh, virtue. 
Um, so to actually ascribe to her something anything less than that is a blasphemy. Mm-hmm. Because really, any virtue we practice is in response to the grace that God gives us. So even if I practice virtue, it's a response to grace. Yes, It's a gift that God has given to me, and I've been faithful to that grace. And thankfully, God has given me the grace of being faithful to that grace. The Blessed Mother is the the epitome of discipleship, of following Christ, of being faithful to Him. And, and, and honestly, when Scripture identifies her in prophecy, it said, a virgin shall conceive. So a, a ultimate pure virgin is going to be the one who's... That's going to be the sign of her identity, is her purity. Mm-hmm. And so to do anything that would, be, would even suggest anything to the contrary is so against what God's revelation and what we know to be true about the Mother of God is. And, and so it's a horrible offense against God. And it's offense against God because God has given her these graces. God has given, made her, he created her, he, he, he gave her every grace that he gave her. And that's why when, when they go through the five first Saturdays and what we need to make reparation for, one of them is the denial of the perpetual virginity. Yeah, yeah. No, Which is, wait. It's anti-scripture. Now, I was over... To be and, against the virginity of the mother of God, it's anti-Scripture. Scripture identifies the woman who's going to conceive the Messiah as being a virgin. Mm-hmm. That's her identity. That's right. That's right. And it's, you know, I, I, boy, there's so many places we could go from this point in the discussion, great places. I, I was going to say the other thing that they talk about was Sister Lucy, and you've already kind of described it. But when you talk to modern people who don't know this history about Portugal or even the suppression of the various rights, they, one guy said that uh, the Vatican came, this is at L.A. Marzulli, and this is how they describe uh, why you don't hear the rest of these other reports. They, don't, they never tell the real truth here, but they try to paint this image that after she had gotten the things, at some point later on, she joined an order and then a Jesuit came and sequestered her to another country and made her take a vow of silence. I thought, this is just bizarre. I realize that evangelicals no, might that... not be aware of consecrated life, but this is, and but it seems to be related to the same people, the so-called fourth secret people, like uh, in our own church that try to say they didn't get the whole third secret, and the number of things that they come up with to try to say that uh, Sister Lucia was either silenced or you know all the stuff that goes on. I'm like, she willingly. The Blessed Mother gave her the secrets, and she willingly complied with the terms of the secret that the Blessed Mother gave her. You know, from a lawyer's standpoint, it's like she was just keeping the conditions by which she was given the information. The Pope didn't come right. in and tell her to do it. Nobody else came in and told her to do it. She was just doing what the Blessed Mother asked her. Right, right. And and also, I, I want to say about that, there's a new book out. It's a biography put out by the Sisters of Coimbra, which uh, Sister Lucia um, entered uh, later in life. She entered the Dorothea nuns first, okay. and then she uh, transferred to Carmel. And these are from the Carmel, the sisters of Carmel, and what the, she told them. And all of this, her experience as a Dorothean nun, and why she went to uh, to Spain, for instance, I'll give you an example. The, the reason she had an, actually wanted to enter Carmel, she was actually wanting to learn French so she could enter the Carmel and Lusso. Wow. Um, and, but what happened was 
in order to go to Lisieux, she would have to get a, a passport, and there was no way that she could anonymously answer that community because uh, everybody would have known Lucia from Fatima has entered the Carmel and Lisieux, and she wouldn't have their privacy there. Oh, yeah. So the Dorothean superior convinced her that she could go to Spain, enter the Dorothean sisters. If, after she's there, she wanted to enter Carmelite monastery, there are many Carmelite monasteries in in Spain she could enter, or the sisters could teach her French and she could go to Lisieux. Um, but she was there for many years, and she um, she stayed with the Dorothean sisters, and then eventually she did ask, once the Carmel in Coimbra was reestablished, she did enter, enter, ask to enter to transfer the Carmel in, in Portugal. Mm. But at no point was she forced not to um, speak about the message. Now, mm-hmm. I will say this, community life at that time um, and specifically after World War One and going into World War Two, there were some, there was a lot of restrictions just because of the way society was at the time. Mm-hmm. And she didn't, she was worried that she wasn't fulfilling the Lord's desire and Our Lady's desire that she promote devotion to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. But once she was reassured by the bishop of in Portugal and by um, her her spiritual director that in fact devotion was spreading, she was consoled by that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, she was never given a vial of silence about that, for sure. I can tell you that. <laughs> well, see, you can't make, you can't spin as much of a yarn unless you make up some of these things along the way. And, you know, the, the, some of that stuff relies on the ignorance of non-Catholics to the ways that monasteries work or convents work or, or such. And even the Vatican works. I mean, uh, yeah. you know, yes, even the way the Vatican works. Uh, but anyway, I, the church approved the apparitions, and they've done everything they can to, I think, foster and support the devotion to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And, if, you know, the other thing is the communion of reparation on First Saturdays, um, very important devotion. And mm-hmm. that, and then it's also tied to the conversion of sinners. Um, uh, she had an apparition subsequent when she was Dorothy and Nunn asking for the communion reparation on first, first Saturdays, and it's specifically to make reparation to the Immaculate Heart of Mary for his blasphemies committed against it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the reality was, is that, unfortunately, and this is what, when you talk about people who are not of our faith, who believe that um, devotion to the Immaculate Heart of Mary will lead us away from... from um, from devotion to Jesus, that that deception, and I have to say a lie, has um, is offensive to God because God knows He created her. Yes. He gave her graces, specific graces, so that she would um, be specifically our Blessed Mother, so that she would be a pure instrument through which souls would be led to God. Yes. Um, and so. You know, for five, for five, the conditions for First Saturdays, one is go to confession, and the church teaches 14 days before or after. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, once a month, you need to go to confession. If you can do it on the first da- Saturday, it's even better, but if not, 14 days before or after, it's okay. Receive Holy Communion on the first Saturday. Go to Mass and receive Holy Communion. Mm-hmm. Um, pay five decades of the rosary. And then spend 15 minutes in meditation on one or all of the, as many of the mysteries of the rosaries you want. 
spend 15 minutes in silent meditation in the company of our Blessed Mother, all with the intention of making reparation in the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Yeah. And one time, Lucia asked, why? Why five? And our Blessed Mother actually says that if you do this for five consecutive first Saturdays, she will obtain for you all the graces necessary for salvation at the hour of your death if you do awesome. this for five first Saturdays. And and then she's in the the reason the the reparation that needs to be made first of all is the denial of the immaculate conception. Yes. There are many people who deny that Mary was conceived without original sin. And Mary that's just, was conceived just to, uh, just to remind people at the time when was the when was okay what miraculous medal was seventeen with two hundred years two hundred some odd years earlier right so right, people had right. two hundred some odd years to kind of like process this. And it's like they came around, and there is an attack on Mary, even not just when with the Catholic Church in general, what we're talking about with what's going on in in Portugal. But it seems like the, whether it's the modernist or something else, there was just this internal mechanism that was still trying to take this apart. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. No, that's so important. I mean, I just wanted to highlight what you were saying because it's like, wow, I can't yeah. believe that people still have a problem so, with this. So it's an attack, and it's per, it's a, in a way to prevent people from going to God, because if you if you attack devotion to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, then you attack an an avenue, the avenue that God came into this world the first time, in which yeah. it, in which you and it's not a it's not something that closed as soon as the incarnation happened. No, that that avenue is perpetually open forever. Mm-hmm. And it's an avenue through which we go to God. Mary said, and I will lead you to God. That's what she said. And so the first, we make reparation for the sin against the Immaculate Conception. The second one is perpetual virginity. Mm-hmm. There are many people, because they go, take the Scripture, said the, the brothers of, of, of Jesus in Scripture, they take that out of context and say that she was not a perpetual virgin. But objectively, what Scripture says identifies, they identify the mother of the Messiah is being a virgin. Yes. That is her identity. That's how you know this is the, 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 the mother of the Messiah. She will be a virgin. <laughs> a virgin will conceive. Mm-hmm. Um, and her perpetual virginity. So that's the second. The third is denial of the Mary as the mother of God and the mother of all mankind. It's very interesting. Even Martin Luther, the reformer, held that Mary is the mother of all mankind. He said, yeah. if Jesus is, we have everything that Jesus has, and Jesus has Mary for his mother, so she is our mother too. Even Martin Luther believed that. Yes. There are some people today who will not accept that Mary is their mother, even though she was given to us by Jesus from the cross. She said to, he said to St. John, behold thy mother. Uh-huh. And he was re- representing, it, and he said, the disciple whom Jesus loves. So every disciple who loves Jesus has Mary for his mother. <laughs> And I, I think that idea on its own is even tough for, I still run into people and, you know, I'm just going to put aside for a minute, um, the bad catechesis that, you know, I'm in my forties, people my age and younger got, I think some people even that are trying to become more active in their Catholic faith really struggle with this idea that it's, it's a true filial motherhood. She's really a mom. She's not just, it's not like an idea, like, oh, she's symbolically my mother. It's really, you became her son or daughter. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a real thing. Because Mary, from the earliest teachings of the church, earliest teachings of the church, Mary was considered the new Eve. Yeah. Eve, 
the name Mother of the Living. Mary is the mother of all those who have been redeemed by Jesus Christ. All of those who have been redeemed by Jesus Christ. All of the living. All of those who have the divine life of God in their soul. Mary has become their mother. Mm-hmm. Because she is the new Eve. And that goes back to the second century of the Church, where they were teaching that Mary was the new Eve. Mm-hmm. This is early teaching of the Church. Um, so Mary is, and, and it's at the moment that he's suffering and dying for us on the cross. It's his last parting gifts, and the one of the last the parting gifts he gave was Mary as our mother. Awesome. Um, and then the, la- the, the other two sins we make reparation for those who try to instill uh, hatred towards the Blessed Mother and the heart of, of children. Mm-hmm. It, is by, it is natural for children who have affection for their mother. Yes. It's natural. It's normal. It's healthy. And it's normal and healthy to have affection for Jesus' mother. Because she's Jesus' mother. Yeah, exactly. And because he gave, him to, gave her to us from the cross to be our mother. So when you try to instill, and, and, and this is done in subtle ways, like, you know, you don't want, you can go straight to Jesus. You don't have to go through Mary. Yeah. Mary's an obstacle. She's a, instead of an impetus, she's an obstacle to, to, to achieving union with God. That's that lie. And then there's just, you know, she's not that important. No, she's not. You don't have to have her for your mother. You can just. Uh, she's just there, and the, you know. No, she's very. I mean, Jesus chose this instrument to come into this world, and Jesus does not borrow people. He doesn't rent people for for nine months. Thank you very much. Have a nice life. Yeah, exactly. He's not that kind of a god. He, you know, he created her. He filled her with gifts and graces. He filled her with himself in his in her heart. And he filled her, gave himself to her in her body. And he gave her that vocation to be his mother and our mother forever. It's not a moment. It's not just for a time. It's forever. Mm -hmm. Um, And you can say that that's true of any mother. They're a mother of a child. that Once that child comes into existence, she's a mother of that child forever. You're never not going to be that child's mother. If that's true of you as a mother, why wouldn't that be true of Mary as a mother? Wow. But yeah, people try to. And then to... the last, the oh, last, yeah. the last thing uh, we make reparation for the last sin is um, for those who insult her directly in her images, mm. and that can be actually destroying a statue, or it can be uh, just removing it from the church, taking her out, wow, moving her out of the center of our, you know, the worship of God. Mm-hmm. And and uh, his means of bringing salvation into this world. And how much we've seen that take but, her out of that. Yeah, in the last several decades, you know, the recovations of churches. I've seen that over. I mean, well, we could go on for a long time about that. But let me ask you, right. sister, if somebody, you know, first Saturday's devotion is probably one of these lingering things from Fatima. That I mean, yesterday I was over at St. Teresa's in Leeds, and uh, a good turnout over there. But I, I wonder, generally, if the kind of the temperature of how we're doing, I mean, is this something that all Catholics are supposed to do? I mean, with the first Saturdays, I mean, a lot of, and the reason I'm asking this, in a lot of places, in the, uh, and I've written about it in the past, a, a lot of places you can't even find a votive Mass for Saturday. Right. And you know what? If you can't go to the Saturday evening Mass, it counts. It's still Saturday. 
That's good. Okay, that's good. You know. But if somebody's you know, going just um, out of a devotion to do the first Saturday thing, and they, I mean, I guess to get the promise for Saturday, because at the end of the day, I love it because all Catholics become lawyers when it comes to these promises from the Blessed Mother. But it's like they want to know exactly like what's the minimum I have to do to get this. I mean, so yeah, they yeah, would, and that, they, that was one of the things that really disturbed Lucia was like, what do I have to do to get the promises instead of. You know, th- this is what I always tell people. If you think the world is peaceful enough that people are living the way God wants them to do, and you think everything is just wonderful, then, of course, you, we don't have to do First Saturday devotion. <laughs> if you think the world has peace problems with peace, people aren't living the way God wants them to do it, and uh, there's a lot of turmoil and disruption in the world, if you think that, then we need to do First Saturday. Now, I want to point out to our audience, this is the power of a religious habit coming, particularly from a a sister. The way you just stated that, sister, is awesome, because you didn't really tell anybody to do anything. (laughs) But I just love it. If you think everybody's living... Open your eyes and go out the front door and see what's going on. Are you happy with the way things are? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're happy, then, you know, I don't know about you, but we, from what I'm hearing, we could seriously have a nuclear war at any moment. Um, We have people who are against the dignity and sanctity of human life from conception, Mm -hmm. not to mention contraception, which is to prevent even conception from happening. Mm -hmm. Then you have, and in many cases, causes the death of an innocent child. Yes. And then you have, that's abortifacients. Then you have uh, abortion, 58 million in this country. Yes. I mean, there's, and then you have, now we're breaking down the family, uh, divorce is rampant. We have, uh, now we're looking at, um, uh, so-called gay marriage. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, and, and that, those, those is just one area, dishonesty in business. Um, you know, Oh, I like to call life. this the age of fraud because it's right. You yeah. know, it, you understand what I'm saying? There's so much, so much disobedience to God's will, not to mention not going to, to worship God on Sundays, not giving your life to God, not serving God. You know, one of the things we're given at baptism, by virtue of our baptism, we're called to worship and serve God. That's what yeah. we call, that's our vocation to holiness, is worship and serving God. And some people don't, don't attend, don't, don't, they don't participate in Mass. And then even when people do it, they do it out of a sense of obligation, not of a sense of real love for God and wanting to be, to have, be in God's presence and to increase God's presence in their life. Um, that's the so part that's sad this. to me, that you have a God who's a person. And I bring this point up uh, even to the first episode or things I've written over the years. And I, you know, a lot of this is uh, I'm a creature of, uh, of kind of who I was around. Father Harden impressed a lot of this on me. But uh, just the idea that God's a person, just like you and I are talking, and even though we can't see each other right now because we're talking across the phone, my attention is turned to you, the person, yours likewise to me. But somehow when they come to talk to God, even though he's not present, they, they don't, they're not thinking there's a person they're talking to. They, their heart doesn't turn its attention to this person that's there. They just see it as some kind of like idea, uh, almost like, you know, the way I've described it before is God's like this idea they put in the shoebox in the closet and until they need him, he stays there. They never it's think kind that, of like this, oh, this is just one more responsibility instead of, uh, 
you know, they're, they're, when you love someone, you want to be with that person. It's not like a burden. You're gra- grateful for the opportunity to be with that person. You're happy to be with that person. Yeah. Um, and, 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 it's, and the Holy Eucharist, our Lord says, and that night he instituted the Holy Eucharist, I have longed to share this meal with you. And what did he want? He wanted to be with us. He wanted to remain with us. Yeah. So much does he want to be with us. Um, so someone who loves you that much and wants to be with you. And I, I always say this about Holy Communion. It's like it's your own divine audience. God comes to you as if no other person in the whole world exists. That's how much he loves you. Yeah. As if there was no other person in the whole world. And it is an infallible proof of his love. He wants to be with you. Yes. That's how much he wants to be with you. He, he created a way that he could come to you personally as if no other person existed. That's how much he loves you. It's an infallible proof of his love for you. And if someone loves you that much, if you have any sense at all, you want to get to know that person and love him more because he loves you so much. Yeah. And Our Lady, Our Lady, I mean, the saints say it over and over again. And I've heard it, you know, stated in in an inverse manner. They say, well, there's no saint in heaven that does not have a devotion to the Blessed Mother. But yeah. I've heard others yeah, say Yeah, the people say that. You know, I, I, have, I don't have to have a devotion to Mary. I can just have a devotion to Jesus. Um, I feel like saying, okay, name the saint. Yeah, exactly. You know, name them. Because I mean, there is who, a one. Who do you know is in heaven who never had devotion to the Mother of God? I don't know of anybody who didn't. Yeah, exactly. I mean, even among the apostles, they, they, they were devoted to her. Yeah, it's very clear uh, from scripture, uh, their view of the, the Mary and the mother of God. I mean, and, and it's very clear, it made very clear, abundantly her role in, in the churches, her role in the church, because at the, at Pentecost, when they're in the upper room praying, scripture specifically mentions she's there praying with the apostles for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And why? Because as Mary knew that without divine help, she could not conceive Jesus in her womb. Mm-hmm. She knows that the church can't be the sign of Christ's continuing presence in this world without divine grace, without the gift of the Holy Spirit. So she's praying and interceding that we receive the Holy Spirit so we can be the sign of Christ's presence in this world. Because that's really what the church is. It's a sign of Christ's presence in this world. And if if we don't have the Holy Spirit, we can't be that authentic sign of Christ's presence in this world. Sister, I want to throw you a curveball, but I, I have the feeling you're going to do very well with this. Or at least probably surprise me in ways that, and that's one of the reasons I want to throw the curveball. We mentioned people that are uh, still looking for the consecration. And my question will reveal what I think is going on with them. And you have other people. There's like three things people are waiting for. One is that, that Russia is supposed to be converted, which they picture as like this uh, instantaneous moment. And all of a sudden, all these Catholic churches are being put up across Russia. Then there's... The second thing is that fire is supposed to fall from uh, fall from heaven from the angel's sword and like wipe out and uh, just like Akita brought up, you know, we're, uh, the chastisement. Or the third thing is the triumph of the Immaculate Heart, where all of a sudden we return to the fifties and men are wearing suits all the time again. And because the, none of those three things have happened mm-hmm. in in their view, people they keep thinking. Pardon me. They keep looking. <clears throat> pardon me. 
for something, and I keep blaming the Pope for not consecrating Russia, or they're looking for something to make those things happen. <clears throat> but is that really the resolution of Fatima? We're waiting. What, no, what's Fatima waiting? For? We're waiting for the, the triumph of the Immaculate Heart. But how will we see it? Are we going to have to see the fire from heaven? Is Russia going to suddenly come out and uh, welcome the Pope away from the Vatican and give him refuge in Moscow? I mean, what what is the end of this thing? Because that's what people are the looking end of the for. Thing is, is it, yeah. Well, first of all, let me let me just say one of the things that um, is very important that our Blessed Mother talks about two conditions for the uh, consecration to Russia to the My Immaculate Heart and the communion of reparations on First Saturdays. So the more we do First Saturdays, the more more complete the conversion of Russia will be. Okay, mm-hmm. so we need you to do both those things. Okay, um, that's very important. Second of all, conversion, if, if conversion happened instantaneously, uh, I don't know how many of it, I mean, very few people, even St. Paul, who had the conversion, a knock-em-off-the-horse moment, had a lifetime to convert. It was the beginning, not the end. You understand right. what I'm saying? Right, there have right. been signs of Russia's conversion taking place, but it's, gonna, it's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to be an instantaneous conversion. It's going to take. It's going to be through conversion and re, and reparation for sin and and uh, offering sacrifices for the conversion of sinners that this is going to take place. It's not going to be an instantaneous thing. As for uh, uh, chastisement, actions have consequences. Yes. What those consequences will be, I don't know. That was a prophetic, a prophetic um, vision, and in that vision. The the, the the flaming sword is going to tr- is trying to come down and, and destroy the world, and Mary's immaculate heart prevents that from happening. Yes, 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 yes. You understand what I'm saying? So that part of it, because of Mary's intercession, because our our promotion of devotion to the uh, immaculate heart of Mary and, and the living of the first Saturdays, that prevents that from happening. But that, having said that, that doesn't mean there won't be consequences. I mean, you know, there are already consequences to sin in this world right now. Mm-hmm. And that's why we need to leave the message of Fatima, which is conversion, repentance, con- repentance, conversion, reparation. And, um, you know, she did say it every, 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 every apparition, pray the rosary for peace in the world. Yes. Uh, so praying the rosary every day for peace in the world is necessary in this message. Um and 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 at one time someone asked Lucia, why didn't she say go to mass every day? Because the mass is the most efficacious prayer we have. And Lucia, Lucia said she's a mother. She knows that there are some times that people can't get to mass. Ah. You know, so you have to pray, uh, and to pray the rosary, which is really the prayer of the gospel. It's the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord. That's what the the rosary is. It's the prayer of, of the gospel. It's praying the gospel every day. And, and, you know, the, the the secret to the rosary is the prayer at the end of it when we say that we may imitate what they contain and obtain what they promise. Yes. These mysteries. We imitate what they contain and we obtain what they promise. And so that's the importance and the power of the rosary, that we bring the life, death, and resurrection into our mind and heart, and we live that in our life. And that's what we're asking for through the prayer of the rosary. And that's why the rose, and through the intercession of our Blessed Mother, we're praying to Mary to make these mysteries part part of our life, 
that we too may live the gospel. And so that's the power of the rosary. And that's one very, very important thing our Blessed Mother said, for peace in the world, pray the rosary every day. Pray the rosary every day. She said at every apparition um, to Lucia, pray the rosary every day. So uh, that's also a very important part of this. Um, I forgot, what was the third thing you mentioned? Oh, I, it was You, you did. You, you've, you, you've gone in, 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 in great directions here. It was just that... I think that a lot of people, they set up this, this concept. And that's why I say, and it's either they think that, well, uh, obviously the, it's the Pope's fault that we haven't seen Russia converted and, and no. they don't know where, and we haven't seen the great triumph of the Immaculate Heart because I think that they, they think that the, the triumph of the Immaculate Heart is going to be like some, uh, um, Judy Garland coming out of the sky and all of a sudden everybody's, you know, men wearing suits again and we're back in the fifties. Um, right. You no, know, and, and I, it, it, so they don't know where this thing ends. And so they keep, I think what, what happens is you have two responses that people come up with it <clears throat> on one side of it. They, they say, well, it's the Pope's fault for not consecrating Russia. And on the other side of it, they try to say, well, it's the, 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 the they try to blame the Pope either way, instead of saying, we still have work to do and we have to keep offering our own sacrifices and that's the big thing that the big very important thing is uh the first person who needs to change is me yeah once i change then i can and then i can pray and intercede (laughs) and and bring about the conversion of other people and and you know even in the early church jesus himself was walking the earth the whole earth didn't convert overnight when he was personally present on this world, in this world, that's a good uh, point. He, you know, he didn't do that instantaneously, and he could have. He's God. He's all powerful. He can do anything he wants. He mm-hmm. didn't do it that way. He did it through the conversion of individuals, then communities, then countries, then the world. So individually, you have to convert the parts of your life that you know are not in conformity with God, God's will. You need to change. Then you need to pray and intercede for the conversion of those who also are struggling with bringing a, converting and, and train, transforming those parts of their lives that are not in conformity with God's will. Then you need to make preparation for these sins, yours and others, that have offended God and have uh, been a, a, a blasphemies against the, uh, against the, uh, the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And then we, we, Make the first Saturdays. We pray the daily rosary. We offer at the Mass, and at, we make Eucharistic adoration, and we offer our, our adoration up for, in reparation for the conversion of sinners. And, and then, of course, the most important is offering the, the spiritual sacrifices that we make every day to God in the ethic offertory of the Mass, uniting it with the suffering of, and sacrifice of Jesus Christ for the salvation of the world. So this is not an instantaneous moment. Yes. Even St. Paul, one of the most dramatic conversions in the history of the world, it began when he got knocked off the horse. It didn't end there. Right, right, right. And, it, and, and how much more is it going to be like that? It's like you said, it, we, it was the whole countries, the whole world's affected, this, that, and the other. I think people, they kind of, you know, and I even see it with this 100-year thing where people think, Okay, boom, boom, boom. There's this uh, purported uh, 
vision that Leo, you know, we don't even know that Leo Thirteenth really had that vision where he saw that the devil had only a hundred years uh, loosed upon earth to cause havoc. And people think somehow that that started with Fatima, thus it's, it's going to end this year. And I'm, I, I kind of shake my head and I'm like, no, if anything, the hundred years is already done and we're just dealing with the muck. The, this all the sin that was just piped into the world during that hundred years that is just still mucking everything up. Um, and also the the third secret, uh, one of the parts of the vision is about the good being martyred. Yes, it talks about and the reason why Pope Saint John Paul II had such hope for um, uh, springtime in the church was because in the last century. More people died for the faith in the whole history of the church prior to that time. Mm-hmm. All the 19th centuries before that, less combined, do not make up the same amount of people who died for the faith in the last century. So for that reason, the church has always taught the blood of martyrs are the seed of Christians. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's all kinds of martyrdom. There's the martyrdom of, you know, being shot to death for the faith or hung or, you know, dying for the faith. Mm-hmm. Then there's the, the the martyrdom of daily offering of oneself to God and accepting the sufferings and sacrifices that every day asks of us and offering that in union with the Mass for the salvation of the world. That's a martyrdom, too. Yes. Um, it's not... And you can't be canonized for either one of them, just, just so you know. So if you're not in a situation where you're going to be martyred, like in North Korea, you're in America... Okay, in America, we make sacrifices. We offer the sacrifices of our daily life to God mm-hmm. in union with the sacrifice of Christ on the cross at the offertory of the Mass. We offer that in union with Christ for the salvation of the world. And, wow. and, and that does have an effect. That does have an effect on the world. It does, um, yes. Yes, because yeah, I think people often think that, oh, well, and that's kind of what I was getting at is, the, the idea of the slow grind, the slow improvement, slow grind of our mm-hmm. sufferings leads to the incremental improvements all over the world versus I think and, everybody know, wants the Blessed Mother to come down and just change it, which would be great. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. It'd be great if, yeah, something did. Sometimes, and I know Mother Angelica had said things like this, sometimes you just do hope for like doomsday just to like start over because it's like, well, this is just a mess. <laughs> But you know that that doomsday to start over. It has to hard. It starts in your heart, yes. not outside of your heart. <laughs> your heart that needs to be changed. It's your life that needs to be changed first. For the, and then that will affect the conversion of others. Every person's faithfulness to God is fruitful. Every person's faithfulness to God. I tell people a lot that we're looking at the tapestry from the wrong side right now, and right now it looks like a jumbled mess. How are we going to make this work? When we die, God will show how he has been weaving the tapestry for our good and for the good of, greater good of the world. Mm-hmm. And we'll see how all these things that seem to not make any sense, didn't seem to be doing any good for anybody, couldn't help anybody, was really helping people. It was really making things better. But right now, it, we're living in a life of faith. And faith means I trust God to do the good that he wills, nice. that he will bring it about. If I'm faithful to him, he will bring it about. And he does. He does. Sometimes we see it, and sometimes we don't. I'll give you an example in my own life. I, um, when I first entered religious life, my job was to clean the chapel. And uh, 
one day this man came in and he looked like a gang member. Uh, he had cuts on his face and he had a bandana on his head and he, he did not look good. Mm. And I was kind of a little bit afraid of him because he, he looked like a tough character. So mm-hmm. I was, I always knelt before I left the chapel after I cleaned the chapel. And this man knelt next to me, and I thought, oh, no, what's going to happen now? And then I thought, well, he's in a chapel praying, for goodness, how, how, how bad can this be? And he wrote me a letter, and he said, my name is George. I have many serious and difficult problems. Please pray for me as you're in the presence of the Lord. I thought, wow, oh. it's great. And I was a postulant at that time, so I thought, oh, a postulant is when you first enter. I thought, this is the first person who's ever asked me to pray for him. I'm praying for him forever. He's going straight up. This guy's <laughs> going straight up. You know? So I pray for him every day, every day, every, every day, you know, when I went to the chapel. Years later, I was outside praying, and I was struggling being recollected during the rosary, and I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I'm getting discouraged. I'm thinking, you know, this isn't helping me or anybody else. Yeah. But I knew it was God's will because that's what I was supposed to do. And then this man comes up to me, and he says, Hi, I'm George. He said, uh-huh. I don't know if you remember me, but I want to thank you for your prayers. My whole life has changed. I know it's because you've been praying for me. Awesome. Oh, thanks be to God. That's awesome. We don't see it when we're doing it. It seems like it doesn't make sense. It's not helping me or anybody else. And God is working it for the good. And God sometimes gives us the opportunity to see it, and sometimes he doesn't. That's where faith comes in. That's where I, I do it because I believe that God will bring good from this. Because I know that faithfulness to God is is fruitful. Mm-hmm. And that's what really Our Lady of Fatima is calling us back to. Remember, love God, do His will, be faithful, pray, intercede, make reparation, offer sacrifices. God will save the world. Yes. Yes. And what a perfect, what a perfect opportunity. Sister, I feel like we and could this- talk for days on all this. I know. We're gonna, no, and we're gonna, you know what? Years. It, it says to me that we're going to, we're going to have to do this again. I want to thank you for being <laughs> on. I'm going to post a, 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 a link for, for people to get to the uh, Casa Maria website so they could see. And if you, if the audience is interested in it, there are retreats and things that they have at the, at the, at, at their, at their Casa Maria where sister is. And uh, they get a number of very good speakers in. And not only that, um, having been to Mass there, you'll have an opportunity also to meet Father Lambert, who is a priceless gem. Uh, and it's just great. Sister, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm looking forward to the next time we get on because I think we could go just all the little places we didn't pick up the the side alleys in this conversation. We could fill up several more of these episodes for easily. Um but uh, would you would you please uh, take us out with a prayer, please? Okay. I think we'll say it with a glory be to God, because we want to thank God for all the good that he's going to bring through this and through all our, our faithfulness to his will and the faithfulness of all the people who are listening here to know that God's being glorified and souls are being saved because of our faithfulness. Awesome. And because of God's infinite goodness. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, as it was now, in the beginning, it is be. now, and ever shall be. World, world without, without end. end. Amen. Amen. Uh, so what's the one thing, if you had one sentence to tell people that they have to do for Fatima, what would it be, sister? Oh, one sentence. That's a big, big... <laughs> uh, make Mary's immaculate heart your refuge, and let it, and let her lead you to God. Awesome. Awesome. 
Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Wow. 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 If you made it this far, you have a taste for heaven because in heaven, time will not prevent us from continuing such great discussions about the great things of God, his blessed mother, his angels, and his saints. For now, though, since we are here, keep praying that we all might get to heaven where these podcast episodes will be in person and we can keep talking forever. You literally forever. Uh, by the way, you have been listening to the Bellarmine Forum podcast, episode seven with Sister Rita Marie, a sister of the Sister Servants of the Eternal Word here in Birmingham, Alabama, well, actually in Irondale. I'm your host, show host, John Bumanos, the president of the Bellarmine Forum. I am very, very, very grateful that you joined us today, that you could sit down and talk about these wonderful things about God. Join us again. We're going to do this again. Podcast, a, a production of this podcast episode was underwritten by an anonymous donor that asks you to say your rosary daily. If you would like to underwrite production of the podcast, contact the Bellarmine Forum using a contact form on the website, bellarmineforum.org, or call us on the phone number in the footer of the website. Donations are tax deductible to the maximum extent permitted by law because... We are recognized by the IRS as a 501c3 nonprofit uh, and basically as a public charity. And we were founded in 1965. Yes, that was a long time ago. On the heels of Vatican II, which everybody has something to say about, we have a lot to say about it. Learn more about that in the near future. As a faithful enclave of the Catholic faith, without all the progressive modernist confusion, uh, things, yes, that means that we really do believe that that is the real presence of the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament, as should you, and if you don't, let us know, and I'll personally pray for you and try to help you understand, or look for things on the website that would help explain it. Our producer was born of the Virgin Mary, sits at the right hand of his Father, and will come again to glory to judge the living and the dead. Our executive director... Made the heavens and the earth, uh, the sun to rule over the day, and the moon to rule over the night. And our technical director is an unnamed angel assigned to us by the producer per show. The Bellman Forum is a nonprofit public charity, as I mentioned, and all donations are tax deductible to the maximum extent permitted by the law, which we also need in this temporal world because time and money are things that uh, have to do with this, this world today. This show is copyrighted by the Bellarmine Forum 2017 to the greater glory of God and the honor of the Blessed Mother. 